Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's here, the weekend we love to hate, or is it hate to love? Let's talk about it here in the doghouse on the Believe Network. Yes, it's Mississippi State at Ole Miss for an April weekend, and the stakes could not be higher. That's because the standings could barely be lower for both the Diamond Dogs and the Rebels alike. In fact, and let's give away today's theme early, the first series of the SEC's second half is setting up as something of an elimination round for both of these baseball programs. That's an awfully bold statement for sure, because whatever happens, yes, there are four more weekends to either undo the damage of this weekend, or for that matter, to have your success undone down the road. However, with one team tied for last in the league, and the other team only one game better, well, it matters more not to lose than it matters to win. That defines key series, doesn't it? When the negative is worse than the positive is better? Well, what it means is you'd just better not lose this weekend, and you'd certainly better not get swept this weekend. You know, and we're not even talking yet about the rivalry aspect, which normally would own the storylines. I'm not at all downplaying the Bulldog-Rebel baseball rivalry. Baseball bragging rights is a real thing in this state. Uh, For the moment, though, let's stick to the impact on both clubs' postseason plans. I'm sorry, not plans now. Hopes is a better word for it. Uh, You know, that's quite the turnaround from 2021, isn't it? Last April's series completed the first half of SEC season, and it left number three ranked Mississippi State 10 and 5, while the Rebels left Startwell 9 and 6. That weekend kept Mississippi State on a national seeding track, while Ole Miss was on their way to a regional host, and it probably turned on that weekend. In fact, many times I have written in reviewing the 21 season, which took State all the way from Arlington to Omaha with a national championship resulting. If you want to look at a pivotal point, I really think Sunday against the Rebels was it. When State was able to come back, win that game, win the series, and stay in contention for national seeding, at the time even an SEC championship, it was a statement, and not just to the rest of the league, but the dogs themselves. Yes, we can beat Ole Miss, A, without Jake Mangum, and B, we can do it and when the stakes are even higher than usual. Now, nothing like that is on the line with this year's renewal. This is not about seeding. This is about simple survival. As of this recording, Mississippi State was number 81 in the latest NCAA RPI, which included Tuesday's games. Uh, It had not been updated for Wednesday. Ole Miss was number 58. And before any Bulldogs out there smirk at that about a team falling from a number one ranking a few months ago, Let's just recall that the defending national champions themselves face a pretty uphill fight just to return to the tournament. At this point, even the SEC tournament. So, no smugness is allowed here. Not until the weekend is done and won by somebody. Now, I'm not doubting that the TV crew for tonight will stress Mississippi State's serious success streak since 2016. Uh, let's see, they're, what, 12-3? and three? Yeah, it sounds right. In the SEC regular season meetings, and oh yeah, there are those four Governor's Cup wins uh, with 20 and 21 canceled. Uh, there will be a renewal next Tuesday night. Uh, I'm wondering, though, can State win this rivalry in Pearl without Jake Mangum's presence? You know the Rebels will be glad not to see him in that regard. Uh, but um, Mississippi State did take the regular season series last year without number 15, and for that matter, without Jordan Uh, Westberg and Justin Foscue. 2021, in so many ways, 
just built on 20, and you think, boy, what could that season have been? Well, guess what? The Rebels still look back on 2020 and wonder what been, what could have been because that was a really good ball team. And they had the season cut short, and they never had a chance to play state, much less play in the NCAA. So there's still some bitter feelings in Oxford about what happened thanks to the COVID virus. Mississippi State, of course, was on track for postseason again, but they hadn't put a lot of things together at that point. Anyway, here we are two years later. Uh, the stakes will not be quite the same as in 2021 when you're playing for all sorts of national status. Uh, the parallel story to State's winning streak, of course, is the Bulldogs uh, trying to keep the Rebels from snapping that streak. And that's accurate enough, just extending it matters to MSU, snapping it matters to the Rebels. But the larger story again is how much these three games will count towards the postseason for both teams. I'm going to say it here. This is really, really, really important. Half the SEC schedule remains four weekends after this one, too. Sure, that's a lot of games left. It's still frightening just how fast a month of play can pass for teams that need Ws, and need Ws in bunches, for that matter, need to win series. You'd come out of this weekend on the wrong side, and you've dug yourself into a hole that maybe 12 remaining games could not be enough to make up. Of course, it could. You know, I'm, I'm careful about, okay, let's go back and I used elimination round. That's probably overstating the situation. Losing this series for either team shouldn't be a sure knockout. Getting swept, now that's another story because it puts the broom bunch at the mercy of how other cellar dwellers do the rest of the way. I'm talking about qualifying or not for Hoover, much less the big tournament. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you need certain teams to win or lose just for you to have a chance to play in postseason. If somebody gets swept this weekend, though, that's exactly what's going to happen. You know, you'll be watching Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina. Interesting that they're all on the other side of the conference. Uh, for who can finish lower and miss those two spots in that are allotted in the SEC. Now, one day we'll vent again about a 12-team conference tournament. Uh, this is not a good year to do so because right now staying at number 12 is kind of a baseline goal at the moment. And let's look past this weekend. Both ball clubs can make the case that they have the harder remaining roads after they play each other. Uh, Mississippi State is at Missouri, host Florida, at Texas A&M, and host Tennessee. Those combined SEC records today are 33-27, and 27, which is obviously inflated, and I mean inflated like the Hindenburg, by a 14-1 Tennessee. Uh, for the math challenge, like myself out there, the other three are then 19-26. and 26. That's promising if State can take advantage of it. We talked about it on Monday, the remaining SEC record. This is the softer half of the schedule, if you take out the rivalry aspect with Ole Miss, of course, and the fact that you're playing the best team in the conference at the very end. A lot can happen between now and then, and uh, hot teams have a way of cooling off towards the end, and a, especially a Tennessee team that maybe hasn't been there before. Well, right now they may be too hot to cool off by then. Uh, what of the Rebels? Here's their slate. At Arkansas, host Missouri. At LSU, host Texas A&M. Combined SEC records are 31-29. and 29. And I can't say inflated by Arkansas to the same degree, 
Uh, parenthetically, isn't it a shame that the Hogs and Vols don't play until Hoover, maybe not even there? Regardless, how do you come down and say one slate is tougher than the other at this point? Well, LSU took the series from Florida and Gainesville, so that gives a point or two to Ole Miss. I suppose, though, it still comes down to the fact that I think were they to play, Tennessee is better than Arkansas, and that puts more pressure on the Bulldogs to win this and the next three weekends and then do whatever they can at the end against the Volunteers. You know, our colleague Mike Nemeth has put his scouting report together on the Rebels, and that hits all the statistical points you need to know about this matchup. I'm focused on the intangibles. The Diamond Dogs are used to beating their rival, at least this last couple of generations. However, many of these same dogs also had gotten used to hosting regionals and playing in Omaha, and both of those are very much in question as of right now. So what I'm saying is you can't count on experience because the experience you have in other aspects is not showing up this season. So don't go in assuming that because you've taken care of the rival now for all these consecutive seasons that the same thing is automatically going to happen. There's, again, nothing Nothing to take for granted in this rematch, especially for a ball club that one day plays like an upper third SEC squad and the next day can fall flat. Inconsistency is about the only consistent factor so far. Uh, Maybe that does complicate scouting for these dogs because you never truly know what team is going to show up for the first night of a series. Uh, Do I think the dogs can win this one? Of course. They've got the hitting to do it. Uh, maybe now, uh, all right, the Jackson State game was such a blowout. I don't want to read too much into it. And the Auburn game on Sunday was so frustrating because you get that 2-0 lead, you can't hold on to it at the end because you don't magnify the lead. That was the key. State's pitching is in such condition that you just got to get a lead and build it and keep expanding, keep putting pressure on the other team instead of leaving the door cracked for them to come back. In a couple of the games, they did do that. They were able to get the big innings, the one big hit, multiple RBI home runs, things like that. I say that because it shows there are signs, flashes, that State is putting things together in the offense that weren't there before with a little more consistency. Part of it is settling most of the lineup. I don't think that will ever entirely be settled this season because of how you want to play shortstop going with defense. Although Lane Forsythe has picked up his bat lately and has proven he can get on base even without hitting. Or do you go with the more physical, uh, more power potential? Okay, all that's a matter of degree. Tanner Leggett. Center field, of course, is the same thing. Do you move Brad Cumbus to center? Do you switch other guys around? Do you leave Cameron James now in center field? Because he's proven he can play it and that frees you up to do some things with DH position as well. I don't know what lineup Coach Lamonis and Gate Gokshur will put together, but they're certainly looking for the best offensive potential because, as you know, Oxford is an offensive park. Always has been, always will be. Uh, I will say, too, that Duty Noble Field, since it's a revision, has been much more offensive than it was in the former iteration. But Mississippi State needs to score a bunch of runs. Yeah, great insight there. Now, candor requires stating, I have not tracked the Rebels very closely. I have heard of their pitching issues this season, and going into the year they were supposed to have an outstanding offense and still have outstanding offensive players, but it hasn't really functioned consistently as a whole. They rely heavily on the big ball more than they do the timely hit. Hey, 
Is this sounding suspiciously similar? Hmm. Let me take a quick look at the SEC-only statistics. Yep. The ball clubs are weirdly close in most offensive categories. Uh, Pitching-wise, Mississippi State is a bit better in most of the aspects other than walks, and that's really been a nagging issue of late here. Uh, If anyone cares out there, the teams are one-thousandth of a point apart in fielding, and I'm talking SEC-only games. If you expand it to the full season, the Rebels come out better offensively in most categories. Pitching uh, is pretty well equal there. And I think you can say the Rebels have probably played a better strength of schedule too, so maybe that's a point in their favor as well. But, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to get bogged down in digits. Here's as superficial a summary as I can manage, and boy, I can manage a lot. Whichever team gets one really good starting performance, any of the days, and clears the fences more often is going to win the weekend. How's that for insight? I told Rebel Fan, yeah, I know some that I saw today, to get ready for a series of uh, 12-9 final scores and no telling which side is going to come out with the dozen. Now that I have said that, watch both pitching staffs bear down with brilliant mound work. Uh, That's assuming the guys behind the plate uh, do their part. And you talk about inconsistency. SEC umpires should be that photo. And they, the pitching keeps everything in the yard, and the big hits turn into running hits with the odd defensive error thrown in. And final scores are more like 3-1 uh, to one and 4-2. to two. So that would fit just perfectly uh, the contradictory nature sometimes of this matchup where all the trends can get thrown out the proverbial window. I don't know. I still expect it to be high scoring just because of the nature of the pitching on both sides and that both offenses are swinging for the fences these days. It's just what they do. Who's more confident? No telling, although I'm biased, of course, because I certainly am close to state and I see them and I, and I do see a team that's developing a degree of confidence there. Yes, it's frustrating, but when you started out the way they do and now you've won some series, you haven't completed them, but you've won some games, you've been competitive in most of your losses, you start getting a little, you know, little, little bit of confidence developed that's honest and helpful. Uh, the Rebels, I can only speculate on that, uh, judging by what is also said about them in other venues, the fact that the frustrations of their fall from a number one ranking to struggling for a tournament position has taken a toll on them. Uh, their pitching is kind of iffy, and offense, any guy, any time, can take one out, but maybe they're trying too hard to do that, a la what State was doing in late March, early April. So almost a battle of mirror image teams going in if you look at the big picture. This game will come down to the little pictures. Uh, who makes that one defensive play that robs a homer or robs a RBI double? Uh, what pitcher gets that unexpected strikeout in the clutch situation, even if it's just uh, fooling the blue into calling uh, K for you. It is going to be so unpredictable, and that's what makes it fun. And very anxious, nerve-wracking, gut-churning, mind-bending kind of fun, but fun, because that's why this series is what it is. Game times, if anyone needs reminding, are 6 o'clock for the SEC Network tonight, 6.30 for online viewing only on the Friday game. And Saturday, ESPN2, how about that, has the 3.30 final. Our finale, should I call it, and a finale it may well be for one program's tournament ambitions. 
Who needs rivalry with that sort of pressure? That's our baseball look for right now. You can check our page again for Mike Nemeth's scouting report, Steve Robertson's Boneyard look at the series as well. Let's turn to spring football now. Yes, Mississippi State is still working. Uh, Saturday's spring game was lightninged out. I was going to say washed out. And, yes, it was raining hard. And that walk from uh, Davis Wade Stadium to Dudenville Field left me a little bit soggy. I was having flashbacks to the 2017 baseball season, in fact. Anyway, because that one was called off on the field, they went inside and practiced and kept on schedule. They practiced again on Tuesday. Instead of uh, having a regular workout, they turned Tuesday into mostly a scrimmage. You can check the video of Mike Leach's post-practice press conference for his comments there. By the way, the washout of Saturday plays into a uh, story that we published on Wednesday and more so a follow-up that's coming this same day. You can look here for part two of our series on facilities, talking with Athletic Director John Cohen. We'll get more into depth on that in just a little bit. But let's just say that uh, had Saturday's practice gone on, because I did the interview last week and had Cohen's information and Mike Leach's well-known attitude towards indoor practice fields, uh, one certain reporter was uh, planning to ask in a most polite, most respectful, looking for information, not to make a point kind of way, what the coach was thinking of the potential need for an IPF since he had to leave the practice, the, the stadium and go to uh, Palmero Center. I strongly suspect, in fact, I feel absolutely certain that Mike Leach would have answered the same way, that he just doesn't see the need for an indoor practice facility at this point. And only, I think, four or five days in the two and a half seasons he's been here have they even had to move indoors at all. So it's kind of a moot point as far as practice goes. It's not a moot point in other ways, which we'll get to in just a moment. First off, let's um, give a review of the scheduling for spring camp. They've scrimmaged on Thursday, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, and they uh, finished the, reg the week's regular practice schedule. They have another Saturday session on Scott Field, entirely open to the public. If you can't make it to Oxford, you can get there. In fact, you can watch it and get home in time to watch the action from Oxford. And then they moved a practice to next Tuesday, which has just been announced as well, and that will be the final session of this camp. Um, we don't have any injury news to report because Mississippi State does not report injuries, but uh, having observed scrimmages and practices the last couple of weeks, State has stayed in pretty good health. You see a couple of guys in yellow jerseys, particularly on the defensive line with Jaden Crumity and Jordan Davis, but since they're able to practice in drills and even some seven-on-seven -seven work, I don't think there's any concern about both being ready for the regular season. Uh, one note that I want to stress from Leach's uh, Tuesday talk was about the offensive line. We think that the starting five has been pretty well worked out now, but we hear that Dollar Bill Johnson is making a run now at the left tackle position, which we assumed would be taken by Percy Lewis, and it still probably will be. But you like the fact now that there's a third offensive tackle to go with Albert Reese at the right tackle position. When you're looking for a fourth tackle, you feel pretty good coming out of spring because now you have August Camp to pick it up perhaps even in the transfer portal. Speaking of which, transfer center Stephen Lasoya has been a great addition to the interior offensive line. No, he has not taken the job away from LaQuinston Sharp, nor should he, because Sharp is, as Leach calls him, the quarterback of the blocking. But it's sure nice to have another guy there because it means you don't have to take, say, Nick James, I'm sorry, Nick Jones or Cameron Jones and move them to center if something bad goes wrong. And this is even assuming the fact that Cole Smith has not been able to practice in camp but will be back 
for August. So that gives you some pretty good numbers coming out of spring in the offensive line, which was one of our concerns going in. I like the way it's developed. I've given you evaluations on the quarterback several times. Nothing has changed since then. Uh, running backs, uh, nothing has changed as far as that goes, in my opinion, that use the guys. Okay, that's my venting for the moment. I like the wide receiver core a lot. I'm not so concerned anymore about the loss of Makai Polk because I think Jameer Calvin can pick up all his statistics, maybe not his exact routes, because I think Calvin is more versatile in some areas. A bunch of young receivers are really making some spring strides in there. And Austin Williams is just being Austin Williams, except more so. He's even coaching the rest of the receiver group as well. Defensively, I mentioned the defensive line. Uh, need a little more muscle behind the first unit, but the first rotation and a couple of backups, as long as there's no injuries, they've got the bodies to get through this season. Linebacker and safety, eh, didn't really pay a ton of attention to them. So it's not really wise for me to comment, but I will say that moving Zach Arnett from his beloved linebackers to the safety's position tells you exactly why Mike Leach mentioned going into spring camp. The defensive secondary was his first area of concern. Well, moving Arnett there, if that doesn't fix the safety position, nothing can. Cornerbacks I'm feeling much better about, not just with Emmanuel Forbes back, but a couple of transfers who have upgraded the positions as well. And we've talked about the kicking game. I like how the field goaling and other kicking is setting up. Punting, eh, kind of a mixed results there, but I think Archer Trafford has shown that he will remain the number one punter. That's just a quick look at what's going on there. Um, not a lot of injuries to port, especially because Mississippi State does not report injuries. But you like the fact that they seem to be coming out of spring, fingers crossed, with a couple of practices and contact work left, healthy. Now, I mentioned earlier indoor practice facility. Uh, that story runs today, part two. Part one was about plans for Davis Wade Stadium. And I, I queried Cohen during a football practice about it. Uh, yes, some of the work has already begun. People who have come to scrimmages have seen the video boards uh, are, are beginning to be replaced. Uh, that's uh, part of a 10 million project that will add new ribbon boards and a couple of video boards at unspecified locations. He referred to corners, and I'm still not sure exactly what that meant, but I wasn't going to push him on geometry at the moment. Uh, seating in the upper deck on the west side is being uh, really upgraded, and that's necessary. Okay, in fact, the theme of Wednesday's story, part one in the series, which you certainly you can still read, was that they thought it more important to address the West Grandstand because of its age and uh, the nature of the seating there than it was to work on the south end zone. The south end zone will be upgraded in time. In fact, Cohen used the phrase sweeping changes. And by sweeping, he won't come out and say it just yet, but that means sweeping away some of the existing facilities there, the very old Terman Fieldhouse and the Eh, makes me feel old, Seal Center, because it was only built in the early 90s, but now it needs replacing as well. You can do that with a variety of plans that involved more fan access amenities and still having a clear shot into the junction. Fans being able to move from side to side, uh, concessions, uh, dining areas, and just plain play areas kind of things, but not new seating unless it's a little bit of premium seating because that's simply the way the game is heading. 
I know there's some fans out there who still will be upset that they don't bowl it in, make it a complete unit. That's not the plan, and that's not the future because the extra seating will never be needed. The trends in attendance are down. What you want is better seating. I apologize because I did not ask about chair backing the entire stadium. I should have. That's my fault for slitting that through. I think it will eventually happen. It will cost capacity. I think somebody once gave me the figures, and I'm trying to remember them exactly, but there is a percentage that you lose in seating for every 10 bleacher seats you take out and replace with chair bikes. I think you can do it with something like eight. So say you're knocking down that sideline capacity. Those people will not move to the end zone. But that means that it allows better seating for those who keep coming to games as eventually it leaks away, and that's true in all sports. More people are staying home to watch the games. You know that. I know that. There are other things we could have got into, but um, we moved on as far as uh, plans for the south end zone and what they're doing. It's a $10 million project just now on the ribbon boards and video boards, and then the other projects will be significant upgrades to the west side. Cohen was not ready to talk about them I suspect it was not because they don't have plans just about ready. It's because Mississippi State wants to make a big slam-bang introduction when they're ready to announce this, and they're not going to let just one reporter go out there and bust the story out for them. I understand. I'd sure appreciate the chance, but I understand. Today's piece about the indoor practice facility, let's get this out of the way. When Mike Leach says he sees no need for the facility, it doesn't mean he wouldn't use it. What he meant, and Cohen expounded on this, is he sees other needs that should be taken care of first. And his first request is a much better SEAL center. A lot has already been done, in fact, in terms of graphics and uh, aspects of locker room, coaching offices, adding room for more coaches and more staff. You know, all this uh, fuss and furor about state being understaffed. Well, they're adding, but you got to have places to put them where they're not falling all over each other. And so I rather politely suggested wouldn't an IPF provide office space. Um, That kind of was allowed to pass without any offense being taken. But you get the idea. Uh, Seal Center is bursting at the seams, but it's being upgraded. The dining room will be a $1 million upgrade. Yes, they eat just fine up there right now, but they want to do more than just have a quick meal and go on to your workouts and your classes. They want to make it more of a gathering area, a place that players can stay and hang around, talk to their coaches, and that can be used for other activities by campus people, such as press conferences to introduce coaches or administrators, uh, get-togethers by alumni, things like that. So his priority is more there. Mississippi State's priority is more the West Grandstand and a few other parts of the stadium. The IPF, it will happen eventually. It will be attached to the SEAL Center as best we understand the projections. There was some thought about expanding Palmero, knocking out the walls, making it a full width. It's full length for football, but trust me, it ain't full width. And it's, it's, it's no fun being on the sideline when some passing drills are being taken place. Trust me on that one from a, a narrow escape experience. That's been pushed to the side. Uh, the plan of possibly building a facility over by the softball tennis facility, that has been shelved too simply because they're going to build a new softball clubhouse for $6 million. He says softball deserves it, and uh, who's to say in the current climate that they're not? Um, I will just put that out there without any judgment. Uh, volleyball is getting a new court, new offices as well, so the money's being spent. 
but about the indoor practice facility, there will be one. Uh, Cohen was very careful not to go against his head coach in his talk because that's non-productive. My point was there will be another coach in the future, some years from now, hopefully, um, maybe sooner. Who knows? It Changes happen. There'll be another coach after that and another. IPFs aren't about practice. Let's be blunt. They're about recruiting. They're about office staffing. They're about amenities. Mississippi State will do it because they've already put too many evaluations into how to get it done, where to put it to stop now. Just because they're not about to break any ground doesn't mean they have forgotten it or shoved it onto the back burner. It's going to happen eventually, but there are other projects that are taking priority. Again, read today's follow-up story plus a uh, update on the renovations of Humphrey Coliseum and Coach Cohen's thoughts on NIL. You'll find it pretty interesting. You would expect administrators to say, oh, I'd rather boosters keep giving their money to our booster club or buying season tickets. Uh, John Cohen has an interesting take as a former player himself, by the way, on what if those boosters want to give that money directly to players legally through NIL. I think you'll find that one very interesting. Well, anyway, that's our doghouse for today. Yes, our emphasis on is on the baseball series this weekend, but uh, spring football is right there. And, uh, of course, we haven't even gotten to uh, talking much about our new basketball coaches yet because we've run out of time. We're hitting the half-hour point, and that's a good stopping point because it's time for everybody to get in their game attitudes for tonight's game in Oxford, Mississippi State, at Ole Miss, 6 o'clock first pitch. And the series, absolutely vital. We'll be talking about it once it's all over here in the doghouse on the Believe Network. This is your host, David Murray. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.